Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk Footnotes. I'm one of your hosts, Damian Abraham, and your other host, as always, is my friend and your friend, too, Chris O'Toole. Chris, how are you doing, buddy? Good, man. How are you? I'm doing good. You know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm feeling up, feeling really up. I'm really excited to talk about this episode this week. Um, I'm really excited because I might be able to go and see two concerts coming up this week as well, happening in one night. So yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How about yourself? Yeah, good, man. Same. I got, uh, actually, yeah, two concerts as well, possibly on the books. We'll see if they both pan out, but, uh, um, yeah. What, what, what's the stuff you're looking at? Like what's in the city? You had Saturday. Is it what I assume? Yeah. It's that forward yeah, suicide okay. show yeah uh, but also in mississauga earlier that evening uh, a tribe called red is playing oh okay gotcha yeah 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 uh, they're they came or they're coming through the area of my 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 area too yeah they're doing like uh, a really cool kind of like community center type show tour right now cool um, nice but yeah so i'm gonna try and check that out and then go over and hopefully catch forward nice um but yeah maybe i'll see you yeah, I'm gonna try. That it's yeah. I mean, I've uh, you and I have both seen Forward, uh, so it's not new to us, so to speak. But yeah, it's kind true. of a kind of a big deal that it's coming back and all that. Like they're coming back again. So yeah, I think it'll be great. And playing in Toronto, like that's uh, you know, there's been very few Burning Spirit bands that have made the trek to Toronto. Um, DSB. Yeah, DSB, uh, they played before. Forward, did played. Forward play here one more time? Right, one other time? And yeah, not, well, maybe two, but definitely one for sure because they played Not Dead yet, the one year. But uh, they might have played here the Tragedy Tour. I can't remember. Uh, I don't but think I they did. They didn't. No, they no. played near me, but no. Buffalo. It was That, that was yeah. that Buffalo show we all went to. Yes, exactly, with Warhead. With Warhead, yeah. Yeah, but um, I'm trying to think of what other yeah DSB we I saw. Uh, my word, yeah, I can't. I don't know of any Judgment it. ever played. Nope, God no. Nightmare ever never played. No, they were supposed to, but never happened. Judge, yeah, no, yeah. Um, anyway, that's yeah, it. That is it. Right. So uh, hopefully, I make it up to that, and hopefully, you make it up to it too, and then we'll see each other there. Yeah, man. Uh, but uh, apart from that, Chris, how's everything going? Going well? Yeah, good. Same old, same old. Awesome. So I don't think we have to do any tragic uh, news off the top this week. No. Well, we could. We could. We could just focus entirely on tragic news if we looked at the news. But that's <laughs> that's not what we do on this show. This show's all about no. escapism. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. 
Uh, and today we will escape to a faraway land of the greatest music of all time, which is New York City in the late 70s and early 80s, as seen through the eyes of one Thurston Moore, of Sonic yeah. Youth, of Psychic Hearts, of Society Ills, fame, uh, and also just all around kind of like cultural zeitgeist. Yeah, I think that's the, the best way of putting it. <laughs> That's a very that specific word is uh yeah that's it. Um, and he has started a. We should I should give it a shout out uh, as well. There is now an ecstatic piece, uh, publishing wing within Omnibus Press that he is running. They put out some incredible books, including with Hellhammer himself. They put out the the death or the dead archives, the death archives, death archives, yeah. Uh, fantastic book there. They've also put out a reissue of Ripped and Torn, or Rip and Torn, which is the Scottish fanzine, first wave punk <clears> fanzine. <throat> there's a Thurston Moore book. There's tons of great stuff on that imprint already. Yes, and there's a, a link um, that I just found, which is ecstaticpeacelibrary.net, and that is spelled E-C-S-T-A-T-I-C, peace as in P-E-A-C-E, library.net, and that has links to these books as well as uh, other things that uh, he's done, whatever, with Ecstatic Peace. So, yeah, make go out of your way and try and pick some of that stuff up. Um, I, I assure you if there's a publishing house that is befitting of Turned Out a Punk listenership, it is this one. No, 100%. This is a very footnotes uh well, footnotes episode, let, let alone that, that specific imprint is definitely very footnotes themed. <laughs> or we themed footnotes that way, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the thing is I'm beginning to realize that there's a certain, uh, you know, type of thinking, way of thinking, you know. And I think it's great that the Thurston Moore episode followed up the Chris Dodge episode because yeah. I think thematically – not thematically, sorry, but I guess, I guess like the type of people that these two people are um, – are, are kind of similar. I agree. Yeah, totally. Um, but let's, uh, let's get in. Uh, Chris, do you have any thoughts about this episode? I guess off the top, just start us off on this conversation. <laughs> well, yeah, so I have many, but the, the first of which I guess, uh, is that I have to publicly eat crow on a couple of things, not even a couple of things, just one major overall thing, which is that in recent years, uh, as something that you were familiar with, Damien, as the, a slightly similar type of person as myself. Yes. Um, we, if I, if I may speak on behalf of both of us, we come from a community uh, largely, uh, especially in our most, not formative, but in our most uh, established years, I would argue, that uh, was sort of like the negative bent on uh, hardcore, if you will, or punk, if you will, was very much at the forefront and within that, there's a large amount of cynicism with regards to uh, some personalities within whatever you want to call this music. So there are certain personalities that there, there's always like kind of like an interesting take on, you know, decades removed from their work or what have you. And Thurston Moore, for me, was certainly one of those people in recent years. Uh, yeah, and I'm just baffled uh, and ashamed <laughs> um, that I even had you know, any kind of cynicism about it because like hearing this episode, especially 
but I have to publicly state that just because I have friends, uh, other friends that are already like, uh, were already on me the minute this came out saying that they were anticipating this to basically hear me have to like discuss this and you know how I, and of course I just have to like, yeah. So it's, uh, it's not, I just have no words to state other than like I, anyone like myself that has the audacity to like sort of be cynical about certain personalities like this. It's, uh, yeah, it's very much unfounded <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, yeah. So that, that's my public, uh, it's not an apology, but it's, uh, to my friends who, uh, who want to not view me as a complete hypocrite here. Uh, that's my, uh, public case. I'm stating it. Also, I think Toronto's kind of like a, a hater city and, and Southern Ontario by extension. Well, I think like, I think it's always, and, and I framed this, I made a note of this to try and, and I don't even know if I'm articulating it properly because people who don't know me or you personally that listen to this, I don't know if they'll understand what I'm getting at. But like, especially because they don't, they never spoken to me at length about any like really nerdy stuff and like have, have never got to the bottom of like how cynical I am sometimes. But um, I framed it as uh, fittingly as kill your idols uh, which of course is a Sonic Youth reference, but uh, that idea of it's a rite of passage to kill your idols when you're interested in this music, um, dare I say. And I think part of that rite of passage, right or wrong, is is working through the motions of coming to terms with perhaps your own place in this and or someone else's. And just because you object to certain aspects of things artistically that people may have done, in a very like you know superficial way as i have um it's just still doesn't like i don't know that that's kind of where i'm coming at it from i guess is what i'm trying to state and it's just kind of silly especially like listening to this episode and just thinking like you know it, just every aspect of this i enjoyed in the whole story and it's it just like to be it's just i have no right it's like i have no right to even <laughs> have talked ill of any aspect of of any work related but regardless uh but i think it's it is something that is like a negative reactionary thing i think not specific to our generation but uh very much was in vogue in our generation i would argue yeah i think i think the other thing is it's part of punk right is to hate yeah you know like you said kill your idols hate your heroes um the thing is like thurston especially but like we we found this also when we hung out with the Makai. like these yeah. people that almost become kind of caricatures to you as a, not mean you personally, Chris, I mean like yeah, all of well us you. Yeah. Um, over time uh, they're, they're like fully developed people when you actually get to sit down and talk to them and yeah. you realize like, Oh man, like they're way more fucking awesome than I ever gave them credit for. And I think part of it's like reacting, like they can't be this cool. And then you hear them talk and you're like, God damn, they're that cool. And, and real and honest, like he was talking about how he felt, kind of bummed out that hardcore kids didn't like his band, which I thought was so sobering to kind of hear, like, to me, the Fonz, you know, like the guy that got me into everything, like the coolest guy, you know, I'd ever known, you know, kind of admit that he was vulnerable. Yeah, I think, and you summed it up kind of perfectly there, like that, that anecdote that he mentions is, is exactly, um, sort of the the well largely i think the accepted attitude about uh individuals like him 
And I think it's often incredibly juvenile to sort of hang on to that. Yeah. As an adult, certainly as an adult. Um, but uh, that's kind of what I'm coming from is I think it's like, you know, if you're, you know, people know what this footnotes thing is about people who listen and there's aspects of it that certainly appeal to people of, of, of being cynical. Like it's part of trying to be uh, discerning about this because you want to try and get to the most, you know, whatever, pure, relevant stuff, if you will. And that seems to be the path of people thinking that that's the way you do it. But the other thing I've thought about recently with regards to this is very much like you planted by people like this when I think about like journeys getting into stuff and yeah Sonic Youth like you were very early for me and so it's kind of like doing like a full you know almost like 360 journey or whatever where you realize like yeah something you were into not at their beginning not the beginning of their career but the beginning of your journey is just as righteous as it ever was you know what I mean and it's actually was probably one of the best starting points ever. You know, it gets you into so much. Oh, God, yeah. Like, I think Sonic Youth is, you cannot have a better jumping off point for the places they'll take you as a band. Like, they cover Nick Fit by The Untouchables. They cover yeah. Crime. They cover the Ramones on, like, live bootlegs that I have, or live official live records that they've done. Like, they are the band that kind of, like, you know, as a young person, they were the gateway. They were the Rosetta Stone for me to kind of get into all this other stuff. I agree. Um, furthermore, one thing I really want to, like, that's really kind of been impressed on me lately, sort of revisiting. This episode kind of came out at a really interesting time for me because I've actually really, really been deep into, like, that whatever, late 80s, early 90s era of this band lately. Like I just find myself listening to those records more and I'm just like feeling them way more. Mm-hmm. Not that I didn't before. I've always loved them, but I really just, it's been hitting me again. But um, they're just, it, they did everything like it needs to be stated. It's everything is really cool also. Like it's not just really great, but like they did things with like style and like, yeah. like with a real appreciation for Everything across the board, aesthetics, just everything. Even I was thinking today, even there's late, because I'm really not a fan of some of their late records, but um, even with that stated, I always remember the cover of, I think it's called NYC Ghosts and yeah. Flowers, maybe? Yeah. But it's the, the Burroughs cover. Yeah. And the artwork's amazing for it. But like, I remember thinking about that record and just thinking, okay, you know, they got Burroughs to do it. But like, hearing this episode... And hearing him talk about like early CBs and like beat guys hanging out at CBs or beat people, not guys solo, but um, you know, then it's like, oh, you know, even that was already in the mix. You know, what I mean that yeah. that kind of uh, cross pollination and that kind of like those nods are very much uh, warranted. They they're not like a pose, is what I'm trying to get at. And it's sort of important to discern that like when you really revisit this. Anyway. We're going to gush a lot. I just needed to get that away because I know personally I'm going to hear from people on the street who are going to be like, you know, like if I didn't acknowledge that, they would be uh, they would be getting at me about it. So anyway, I'm eating it. Yes, <laughs> I would, I've been wrong. I'm wrong. It happens more often than I'd like. Anyway, I, I I'd feel the exact same way. Like I feel like, uh, you know, like I think also with me, there was like a kind of like a weird incident involving my band 
uh, and Thurston like years ago, like yes, ten- which is com- compounded. Sorry to interrupt. It compounded me on that too. So yeah, not to blame you, but that that <laughs> helped my. It didn't help my what I should have. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And that was that was about ten years ago, and I I met him subsequently a couple times, and yeah, it had always been cool after that first time. And I'm not trying to be you know deliberately obtuse about this thing. I'm going to get into it uh, i'm sure in a future episode but but and it's and it's like very in retrospect a very funny story but yeah at the time it hurt me because like once again this was like the coolest guy in the universe to me and this is the guy that got me into punk like 1991 the year punk broke i bought it i like not to give my own turn at a punk episode in footnotes or something but uh i got busted for shoulder tapping which is when you get someone older than you to buy buy uh beer for you okay and, and uh with all my hippie friends that i was like doing acid with and smoking weed with at the time so as a young person i'm at a loss you know looking for a new peer group and i met this kid at uh ryerson sports camp where i was a junior counselor in training with him and he wrote graffiti and rode skateboards and was like the coolest person i ever met and his favorite band was sonic youth and so he made me buy 1991 the year punk broke when i asked him what i should buy and uh it was you know a life-altering moment like thurston moore in that movie was the personification of cool to me and i just watched that thing i don't know how many times i've watched that thing hundreds like hundreds of times (laughs) from what i understand yes my god and so yeah, when he dissed me, it it broke my fucking heart. You know, <laughs> it's like it really. It was like, oh no, my God has smited me <laughs> down. I get you. Yeah, yeah. That's it's kind of like, you know, I feel like that's revealing too much, and I also feel like that's also making something out of something that isn't a thing. I know why you're saying it now, and in hindsight, of course. But, um, yeah. But I'm with you on this, and so. You know, there have been moments with personalities within this, you know, subculture broadly term that have irked me over the years and I've been vocal and he had a few and that was one. Um, So, yeah, but um, not that this episode in general just changed my opinion, period, but certainly solidified that I was completely off base and ever being like cynical about anything like that. Yeah, like the one thing that comes across in this episode is that this guy has a love for this music in this form. All music, you know, I'm sure I could have talked to him about another a number of genres and he could have kind of gone deep like this. But for punk, he's got a love of it and a passion that goes for decades of of just being immersed in it, you know, and and god like you know just hearing him go hearing him talk about all these obscure bands like how many bands did he bring up that i've tried to force people to talk about in different episodes well yeah just tons in general it's just anyway yeah we'll get into some of that i i wanted to make sure we i isolated some stuff so we'll have talking points but um yeah just to go off what you're saying i don't know i just mirror what you're saying and so as listeners who listen i i hope you eventually like you know, talk to him again, interview him again, you kind of get into that whole thing. Um, but yeah. So for people that are going to bust my chops about this, I've already come clean. That's all I'm saying. 
Including Mr. Martin. I guess I kind of – Mr. Martin, Dave, one of the Daves, of course, lovely human being, was kind of the one. He checked me a couple times on it like very subtly. And uh, and yeah, I, I – yeah, he was right. He's also an elder statesman. So I deserve to – you know, I needed to be taught at times. Well, I uh, I couldn't have prepared myself. Like I knew this was going to be good, but I couldn't have prepared myself for how good. So yeah. let's dive on in, Chris. Yeah. Do you want to take that first point? Oh boy. Um. Yeah, I have many things I jotted down. Rarely lately do I take notes because I find your notes are very good for the um, shows, and not that they weren't for this, but there was so much mm-hmm. that I actually like made my own, which is kind of a rarity. The first talking point I want to get to because I think it summarizes what we were saying because we kind of got into the idea of, of Sonic Youth being this like huge transformative group early on in our development. Um, I was thinking about it, and I believe that Sonic Youth may in fact also fall under the, uh, as you so um, deemed, the I'm going to call it the Misfits criteria, which is <laughs> simultaneously they are the greatest punk band but also not a punk band. And yep. I believe Sonic Youth also applies to that. Yep. I think, and it's so it's and it's funny because he discusses the misfits in this episode. It's great too, but um, I never thought of that as a comparative uh, criteria. Only you would have brought that out. I would say for the opposite reason, though. You know, the idea of the misfits are like not a punk band is because, like, you know, especially having talked to Doyle. Um, yeah, I don't know how much of like the punk quote unquote ethos. Yeah. Uh, has is found at all in the Misfits DNA, you know. I guess in the yeah. sense that Danzig did it himself, putting out those records. But I don't know. Like it, it just feels like very different. Whereas with Sonic Youth, it feels like the yearning to be punk was there. It's just sonically not what came out. Yeah, I gotcha. I, I like. I, I do think you know, and I know you're aware of this, obviously. But like, I do think him mentioning confusion as sex was a great one. Because I think, like you, you actually summarized my my feelings perfectly, too. Because when you hear that record, if that's like the first thing you hear, which I think if you're of a certain age, it's probably not the first thing you're going to hear. Yeah. Um, for the most part. Nowadays, obviously, you can pick and choose your adventure, so to speak, a little, a little more uh, whatever, tailored. But when I first heard them, I did not hear that era first. So when I went back, like you... Um, I didn't have the same reaction as you did right away because I was not that you weren't listening to stuff, but I I don't know I I really dug it, but it definitely felt much different than like Dirty and Goo and so although Goo certainly has moments that are as harsh, but um per- particularly Mildred Pierce, uh but anyway yeah so I do hear the punk you know Sonics in their stuff obviously, but I'm, I'm with you yes traditionally yeah it doesn't sound like you know, whatever, stiff little fingers, you know, or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so I don't remember what my point. Oh yeah. My point was, yeah. So I think if, if we can settle that one, I think that they also fall under that cr- criteria. Yeah, definitely. I think that's, um, you know, that's, that, that's the, the, the thing about that band is like, they, you know, came out of punk, you know, or at least not. Well, Thurston says like he was mainly the punk guy. You know, which is funny because, like, Kim did move to New York with Mike Kelly, he said, right? I think, yeah, I think that's what he says. And Mike Kelly was in Destroy All Monsters. Hmm. 
So there is that punk connection there too, but like, yeah. Yeah. Like it's really is that punk meets art that kind of, you know, churned out Sonic youth. Yes. And mistakenly, uh, back to my opening admission, my feel, my understanding was always that, um, and, and sort of the accusation levied amongst, you know, the capital P punk scene is usually that, it's it's because there is an outsider aspect to not like being a part is mm-hmm. the accusation. And so my understanding was always that it was like they were more art centered and therefore, you know, it, it's not as legitimate or something, <clears throat> which is inaccurate because when you hear him speak about these records, you know, it's not a, you know, it's not a, a put on, you know what I mean? Like you don't talk about certain things that he talks about that came up in this episode without it being a hundred percent legit in my opinion. Absolutely. So, so that was where it really kind of like dawned on me, like you know, where it was just like, man, like I was very like. Anyway, whatever. We don't need to dwell on that. But yeah, it's it's very legit. Is all I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. But yeah, you got a talking point there, my friend. Uh, do I have one? Um, uh, yeah, like I think, uh, I think the the thing that I kind of want to go on uh first is the idea of that ramon show with johnny on vocals and joey (laughs) on drums yeah that was the one thing i didn't have time to actually research but um it's insane like i I don't even like would you think it was a power play by johnny because that's the stories you hear is that notoriously he was you know trying to control the ramones well um, and, and control joey but it, like the thing I didn't understand was he, he claimed it was one of the early shows. So is this like this was not like was Tommy? I just thought maybe it was a period where it was like Tommy was transitioning out of the band or whatever, and that's maybe why it happened. But I, I don't know, man. Like it's I couldn't see them doing that post first record. Yeah, I don't know. Johnny on vocals, Joey on. Drums. And looking, I can't seem anything you kind of well not by that search directly, but I did a similar one, and nothing's really being yielded. Apparently, there like he said that there's an actual whatever like a gigography of, of the Ramones. So yeah, I think I have that book downstairs. To be honest with you, yeah, maybe it's noted there. I don't know if I would say it's a power play. To me, that seems like it was possibly a um, whatever, like a like a a matter of circumstance. Like they wanted to play a show you know, in a pinch. And that's just how it had to go down mm-hmm. as someone like you that has played in bands with similar circumstances here and there. It, it happens, but it is very strange. It's very strange. Like that, I like just, did Johnny didn't do any vocals ever. Well, and I can't imagine like, did, how did Joey play drum? I never heard anything about Joey being a drummer of you. I, I thought he was a drummer in his band before the Ramones. No, he was a vocalist in that, that glam band. But the thing that kills me is it's like everything I've watched was always about, um, you know, Marky coming in and that idea of like teaching Marky how to do it properly, if you will. Mm-hmm. Like like the hi-hat, like the, I don't know, whatever the timing is. Like that, you know, the the beat everyone knows. Yeah. Um, and how it was a struggle or whatever at first because he, you know, playing that straightforward. Because, you know, he was played in bands, obviously voidoids or whatever but like it, they never did the ramones thing you know what mm-hmm. i mean it was like that was the most important component was learning the the hi-hat or whatever doing it the right way um 
So yeah, just Joey nailing that. I can't imagine. Well, maybe he did. I don't know. <laughs> it just seems bizarre. It's just all of it is very bizarre. Yeah, it's very weird. Like I would love to hear a bootleg yeah. of that show. And if anyone knows more, actually, this is where probably we're, where we should solicit. Um, but yeah, for listeners, if you have any more info on this, specifically like recordings, would be sick. But um, yeah, turnoutapunkfootnotes at gmail dot com. We would love to explore this, but I, I've this was the first I ever heard of it. I would also love to remake that TV show Vinyl, uh, but about <laughs> Thurston Moore's life. Yeah, dude, it's uh, I only lasted two episodes. I probably should still watch it to completion, but I I kind no, of terrible. I heard it gets worse. Uh, yeah, so I will say though, shout out Andrew Dice Clay is incredible in it. it briefly, albeit, but um, and I love that main actor, dude. I don't know his name, but he's great. Um, but yeah, the show is not very good. <laughs> um, full stop. But like you could make this Thurston Moore's life into a, like a TV yeah, show. It'd, yeah. And it'd be way better. Agreed. It yeah. would be way better. I think it'd be such an interesting kind of like look at that scene too. Yeah. Um, and you know what else is really good in it? I think Ray Romano's in it too, right? He's really good in it, but yeah, I just anyway. find it's, everything's like so wrong musically. It's so forced. Yeah, so forced. Like really, really forced. Like even the first, I think it's the first episode where there's the collapse building of the the doll show. Spoiler yeah, alert. Yeah. Um, also, yeah, like just don't watch it if you haven't watched it. But that scene is kind of cool, but um, and apparently historically accurate in the sense that that apparently happened. It happens. There's there's it a happened. lot of counts of that show. Yeah. Happening. So. That scene is kind of neat to see, and it's kind of, I don't know, for a second you feel transported. But for me, that stuff um, always feels like, and I actually like this movie, but this is the the easiest way to state it. For those familiar, and I'm sure you are, of Summer of Sam. Yeah. Uh, the way the portrayal of CBGB in that movie um, is like, yeah. Yeah, I, it just is really corny, and it just doesn't doesn't work. It's a little better work. because it's whatever twenty years after the fact, but it's actually funny because relating to this interview you did with Thurston, when he's discussing CBGBs of that era, he goes out of his way to state, even with like, you know, the Sex Pistols having been a thing already, how it hadn't been all dressing punk and stuff like that at that time. Yeah. So that movie that that show takes place in that era as does that movie and that's all they harp on is you know how like the mohawks were the thing you know it's i guess it's a clear signifier but anyway whatever and that's not you know it's so funny too cuz like <clears throat> i think the the one that gets it the most right is 24 hour party people again like their portrayal of what punk was like in the early days pre codification yeah that's a great 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 movie yeah i agree i i mean it's different country but yeah no, I know, but like I would love to see someone doing a, a movie about New York of that era and like focusing on like you know like Ginsburg and Burroughs showing up to see Patti Smith perform and like I'm yeah. sure disco type people also because of Max's Kansas City's mixing it up. And the other thing that came across to me, like I made a playlist by the way, if you're on a certain streaming service, look up Turned Out a Punk, uh, Thurston Moore. And you will find this playlist and it is fucking the greatest mixtape ever. And it's just me like pulling songs that he's talking about or artists he's talking about, like whatever I could find. Um, but it really hit me how n- like non heteronormative straight 
early New York punk was. I think in punk in general, I think had definitely like a very like whatever. But like in, in England, I don't even know if "opens" the word. Right. I think it, I, yeah, no, agreed. Yeah, true. You're right. I think I think that's sort of. Yeah, you're right. I don't know how to classify that because I don't, you know. I, well, it's I like don't, you know, whether I don't want to speak on behalf of something that yeah. I can't speak on behalf of. But yeah, you no, know, but like whether you're talking about like Jane County, or whether yeah. you're talking about the Fast, or whether you're talking about the Mumps, or whether you're talking about any number of other artists that I'm, I'm, you know, just not listing Dee Dee Ramone, you know, like these, these people that, you know, were on all sorts of different, you know, um, places in, as far as sexuality and gender and, you know, places like that. And like how, you know, you don't really hear about it happening too much after a certain point. Yeah, and there's not sorry. That's not to diminish the role of people that were around, but it just seems like, you know, like that New the much fabled New York hardcore era. It's you don't really have the same diversity on records. Yeah, and I think in the interview, I don't know if it's the answer, but in the interview, he even kind of touches on that, the idea of it. It's sort of being a slight or not a great injustice or a slight injustice to the sort of. the way they cover that era of like the later New York hardcore thing or not New York, just American hardcore, I guess would be the way to say it of Mm -hmm. of it being just more antic related rather than like a, you know, a legitimate, uh, like fully formed cohesive, like movement, if you will. Like they kind of say that in a lot of these things, but they don't really like give enough credence. I feel I agree with them on this to like some of the bands and how absolutely like, amazing they were or are or how amazing those songs are so i think some of that is is because antics overshadowed you know whatever and therefore you know perhaps what i'm trying to get is it it, i think it just turns i think there's just a different you know set of of people that come in and it, it sort of changes i don't think anything goes away though i think there's always like bands of that nature that are different on the margins right but yeah i just don't think history served uh, the real story very well when it comes to New York, right? Like you always hear about the dead boys, Blondie, Talking Heads, the Ramones, uh, the Dictators, maybe, yeah. maybe uh, Jane County, Electric Chairs era, but I think that's because, uh, you know, they, they went over to Europe and played in yeah. England and stuff like that. But like, you know, but you don't hear about the fast, you don't hear about the mumps, you don't hear like, you know, these the fast are fucking incredible. Yeah, I don't know my like I only know things I've come across like on YouTube or whatever. But um, that yeah, kids just want to dance song is one of the best punk songs ever from that first wave. It's very good. Oh, but even the mump stuff is very strong. Super cool, super super cool. And the story of that band I think is so awesome like lance loud was the first from what i've been told like you know obviously i wasn't alive at the time to you know or certainly wasn't able to kind of like take this into the time uh was the one of the first openly gay tv personalities certainly on mainstream american television at the time uh and you know here he was also doing this like kind of kick-ass punk band and yeah go on sorry no no go go you were going no, and I was going to say, and like, I can't believe that Thurston Moore was stumped 
about one of our favorite labels ever, Chris. Sympathy for the record industry. Uh, releasing... That he has records out on. <laughs> he has records out on, right? There is a is there a Sonic Youth stuff on? I don't know about Sonic Youth, but there's a, a side project that I want you to talk to him about next time you talk to him. Which side project? Rodney and the Tube Tops. He plays on it. What is that one? I don't. You know what? You've stumped it's him me. And, it's him and Rodney Bingenheimer. And, uh, Whoa. It's him, Rodney Bingenheimer. I can't remember who the other two are. But yeah, it's like a, a sort of a super group. And it's just Rodney Bingenheimer like, complaining about the 90s. The actual title track is I Hate the 90s. It's incredible. Oh, crazy. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. And I'm sure there probably is other things he's been on that have been on that label, I would imagine. But I'm not. I know for sure that one is one. Well, one of the people that plays on this record that I is someone that I actually just wanted to bring up as well. Um, and that is a gentleman by the name of Dave Markey. Okay. Uh, Dave where, Markey. Where are you going to go with this? <laughs> well, Dave Markey is, um, you know, a phenomenal uh, per- person in my life for directing that film, 1991, The Year Punk Broke. Oh. <laughs> uh, but also, you know, directed Desperate Teenage Love Dolls, who had the soundtrack on Simply for the Record Industry reissued. Um, but, you know, this footage that Thurston Moore had no idea about the existence of you know, of the mumps in Lance Loud that is on that DVD reissue that the aforementioned Sympathy for the Record Industry put out, uh, that footage was directed, Chris, by fucking Dave Markey. <laughs> yes, as explored earlier. Yeah, we did that in the pre-show. You you mentioned that to me. Um, um, yeah. Also, just this record is incredible also, but uh, not to be understated. Um, but uh, yeah, that is wild. It's funny that he directed that movie and that, and he was unaware of the mump stuff. Um, but yeah, the, so as well, since we're on that topic, that mumps CD, I had it already bookmarked here, but I'll look it up real quick. How I save the world is the name of the uh, set. And it was a, a CD DVD set. And I think the CD actually also has a DVD ROM on it too. Yeah, and then even there's they did a seven inch sympathy uh, called Crocodile Tears as well from 2005, which has well how I save the world and exclusive live non CD track previously unreleased called Waiting for the World to Catch Up. Oh, crazy! So, I wonder. So, yeah, I wonder if so Crocodile Tears is the same version that's on the Bomp seven inch. Hmm. I don't know. That's a good question. This one claims it's it says it's taken from the how to save like from the CD, but I don't know if that's the same studio section. Yeah, the same studio. Yeah, I actually don't have that seven inch. I need to get that seven inch. The bomb. Yeah. Uh, the 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 bomb one. I don't have either, but this is a great record. Even that B side is so good. Yeah. Like I like I like to be clean. Great, great song, and like again, like record looks amazing. Bomp, like the, it's pretty much perfection. Um, it ironically looks better than the <laughs> than the sympathy record released, you know, twenty some odd years later or whatever. But yeah, uh, but no, no shade to sympathy as as expressed. One of our faves, but uh, no, but that is love. that is a real low point for sympathy in the graphics department towards the mid two thousands. Like for a label that kind of 
I would say set the bar at a certain time for graphics amongst record labels. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They did not go gracefully into the computer era. <laughs> Accurately stated. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah, but that was good. We kind of got that. I wanted to make sure to shout that out because I was going to, you queued up that CD mentioned pretty good. Uh, I would say also you can get the rock and roll, this rock and roll, that single super cheap on, on the resource, on the cogs. Definitely recommend picking up that seven inch, that song, muscle boys and that song, that fatal charm are two of the mumps best songs <laughs> and uh, are on that second seven inch. Yes. From 78 on perfect records. So go get it. Uh, um, well, do you want to take a point? Do you got a point? Because uh, there's a uh, uh, there's a cool pivot that we can do staying in no, no, do, for the record industry. Do the pivot. Do the pivot. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk next, Chris, about my favorite visual artist, and I believe he's one of your favorite visual artists too, and that is Joe Fucking Coleman. <laughs> We're gonna go right there. Yes, he's great. I, I admittedly, I'm not. I cannot claim to be as big a fan as you because I'm. You're one of the only people that I encountered. If I'm going to do a full admission here, that was one of the, the things that I was probably most impressed with early on when we started speaking, is that you had like Joel Coleman art books. I blew my mind because I'd seen seen them or heard tell of them, but I didn't have any. Yeah, um, like anyway. I, I I got into Joe uh, originally from that portrait Henry Portrait of the Serial Killer poster that he did uh, when I was a young kid. That was the video store era, and Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer was probably one of the more obscure dabblings that I did as a young person. Um, yeah. Great, and great movie too, by the way, a, yeah. a, a wild movie. So I certainly, yeah. I don't think I could stomach watching today, no, but yeah. there was a time and place in my life where I enjoyed those kind of movies. And uh, that's where I found out about uncle Joe. Uh, he's also featured in that pranks book. You hear that mentioned in the Jesse Brown episode a couple weeks ago. Uh, yep. And there's a pranks video that research did a companion thing where I got to see footage of Joe Coleman performing in his performance art stuff, like not even the stuff in the steel tips. And from that point on, Oh my God, I fell in love with this guy. Uh, I met him a couple of years ago when he came to Toronto to do the comic book convention, the horror movie convention. I got him yeah. to sign one of my books and he drew a little portrait of me. Um, unfortunately he closed the book and it got a little smudged, <laughs> but he is, yeah, meeting him was one of the high points of my my uh, my life uh, as a as you know like meeting one of my my favorite artists. Uh, the band, the Steel Tips, that he played in that Thurston talked about. I finally also got to see that footage in the Dead Boys DVD that we talked about that I believe MVD Distribution put out a couple years ago. Yeah, or like a couple years ago, like ten fucking years ago now, twelve years ago <laughs> now. Uh, yeah. But they look amazing that stuff looks incredible so yeah big fan of joe coleman and uh, i'm so happy we got to talk about him absolutely um as a point of of note that pranks is on youtube so for people who aren't familiar Oof. that's prank pranks bracket 1988 uh is how you'll find it but um yeah and he's like the starting bit in that um, but yeah, the steel tips we talked about on the show, I've still never tracked down that record. I've never thought to look it up to hear it even sadly, but, um, the stories that he tells about them live sounds incredible. Um, so yeah, I'm curious to hear it, but I've never also never seen that footage, but yeah, just, the uh, the notoriety of, of 
Joel Coleman, it makes me curious regardless. I, uh, I, I had no idea they had more than the one seven inch. I have the first seven inch only. And now I'm looking it up and seeing that they've got, you know, multiple singles. So I'm going to have to get multiple records, even like 12 inches and stuff. So I'm going to have to pick up the rest of the stuff, but, uh, they are without a doubt, one of the wildest bands, uh, you will ever hear. Yeah, I think uh, someone has messed up on the resource here, too, because it, it looks like, unless I'm wrong here, it looks like there's another Steel Tips that they've thrown in. Really? You think? Well, I don't know. Maybe that is them, but the title track, Ireland Must Be Free, seems like a strange choice of theme for this band. I think it's the same band. Like, look at the font. Yeah, you're right. Maybe it is. I just thought, wow, maybe that's... Anyway, whatever. <laughs> that's definitely them on the 12-inch, but it doesn't look like... Joe Coleman remains in the band. Um, After the, I think we discussed this previously. I think he's only on the first record or something, if I remember. Okay. Or, yeah, he definitely is. And then I don't, because I remember we went through this once before. Did we go? I wonder what episode we talked about this on then. I don't, yeah, I can't remember why either, but it was, it was, yeah. Oh, and man, okay, so it is. So if you actually look it up on the, on the resource, they do actually have a video link. I gotta check this out. Yeah. If, if you look at the second record, this is the one uh, that Joe Coleman explodes in. <laughs> Click on it, Chris. We'll do a live. We'll yeah. do a live viewing. Okay, one sec. We'll, we'll yeah. restart this from the beginning. Okay. So if everyone, if you're on the resource, go to the second record, which is funny because that's one that doesn't feature Joe Coleman. Scroll down on the resource, and you yeah. will see there's a video link to the Steel Tips Crazy Baby CBGB's 1977. Yeah. And let's do three, two, one, click. Three, two, one, click. <laughs> okay. All right. So you can see Joe yep. Coleman on stage. He's got like kind of the mono dread going on. Yeah. Looks very Manson y, too, kind of. Total Manson vibe. Look, look at that stare. That's got to be his influence. Oh, look at that playing. He's playing wearing it some up. kind of a weird. I don't know what that coat is that he's wearing, but yeah. Anyway. Well, watch. So this is similar to the one you're talking about. The first this is the one. About? This is the one I was telling Thurston about. Wow. This band has the strangest vibe. Yeah, the vibe's out of control. Like like what he describes in the interview about the like the schoolgirl and the weird yeah, biker dude as the front people. And then Joel Coleman as another... <laughs> He's now uh, appeared to be <coughs> igniting some kind of, I'm assuming, firework. Dude, look at this. Imagine seeing this live. How can this not be, like, one of the most talked about bands ever? Like, you see footage of, like, the talking heads, and it's like, yeah, that's cool. But look at this guy blow it up. He seems pretty unfazed by the explosions, too, which is kind of that. Like, he's, he's you know, he's whatever. He's... Ha have you watched the research pranks video that's on YouTube? Not the whole of it, no. But Dude, have you seen his it. Joe Coleman part? When Not he, the no. When he yeah. gets into this performance art phase later on, he like starts blowing up, right? Like he perfects this whole thing of blowing up, but also at the same time he like dumps a bucket of mice on his head and starts biting their heads off, and like <laughs> firing a shotgun off in the air. It's nuts. Yeah. The funniest part, or the, not funniest is the wrong word, but the strangest part 
of the multitude of strange things going on with his live performance is that Joel Coleman's part doesn't really fit either. Like, it's kind of, like, out of place amongst everything, although nothing really makes sense. Well, but he's <laughs> but, back on stage now, right? Like, he's this dude with the sunglasses. Yeah, but it's just funny. Like, it just doesn't, like, it just doesn't make sense. Oh, that's not Joe. <laughs> no, that's someone else. But anyway, it's, yeah, I'm glad to finally see this, because I didn't, like, I've never... And I'm listening to it without without sound, so I'm still not getting. Oh, you're already hearing the sound. You can put it on the sound; it won't show up on our recording. No, it's fine. It's no, fine. you got to hear I'll, this song, Chris. It sounds <laughs> like the monks. Have. I gotta go change something. You're oh, saying the monks, like the monks, monks. Yeah, like the the monks, not like got drugs in my pocket, monks. Like the yeah other month, other Black monks. Black monk time, monks. Yeah. yeah. Sick. Either way, very cool. We've unearthed that this footage exists fairly accessibly. That's awesome. Yeah. This band is super sick. I don't know why this is listed here because this this is the song that's on the other single, Crazy Baby. I think it, it might be just whatever on anything you click on. I just noticed it with that one. Maybe. No, it's not. It's not under the Crazy Baby single. Weird. Or okay. put the video and only put it there. Well, either way. So, Steel Tips, yes. Three, four records, three seven inches, one twelve. It looks like. Yeah, definitely picking them up. They're not and that expensive either. Four, no, three of the four are independent as well. Like yeah. completely independent. Yeah, yeah, and the first one's got like a really cool vibe. Got like a sticker on it, hand stamped. Um, I got to get this. Ireland must be free. <laughs> it's such a strange. Like, what is going on with this one? Yeah. I wonder what era this is even, because this is the one with the unknown date. Oh, 81. 81, yep. So this is... So it's like the last... I'm curious if it's before or after the 12 inch is what I'm not sure. Yeah. Because they're both listed as the same year, but I don't know which. The other band (laughs) Thurston brings up that's fucking amazing is that Student Teachers Band, who I have to admit I was pretty unfamiliar with, but uh, have not stopped really listening to them since i didn't get to check that out yet like musically but i did look up that book because i was very curious because he mentions that the drummer had done a memoir yeah i want to get that book too he kind of spells it out um if i if we're forwarding links still to your brother and everything i can forward all this stuff but it's called girl in the back and um the sub there's like a, a bigger title i'm just trying to get the full one but it looks, it sounds cool. Um, I looked up all of the books kind of mentioned, and so I'm going to try and link them to your to your brother so he can put it up so people that are really interested in all of the nuance of this. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Girl in the Back, Female Drummer's Life with Bowie, Blondie, and the 70s Rock Scene by Laura Davis Channon. I'm assuming that's pronounced C-H-A-N-I-N. And uh, yeah, it looks cool. Awesome. Uh, also, before we move on too much from the Joe Coleman stuff, do yeah. you have uh, this Joe Coleman Infernal Machine LP? No, I don't have any. First? I don't. I have like no. I don't have any of that stuff. Uh, I do have the uh, JE uh, plus the uh, Gunther Iser Walter Mitchelson split record that they did with him. Uh, that sympathy put out, kiss and nice. kill. Nice. Um, which I. Once again, recommend picking up, but not 
not necessarily a uh, punk record. Yeah, no, I I don't. Besides the Steel Tips Association, I don't really really think of him in that light, to be honest. Uh, there says here that there's this CD that features him with on vocals. Fetish sixty nine is the name of the band, and okay. uh, the release is called Purge. Uh, I wonder if the song Waiting Room that he sings on is the same Waiting Room. <laughs> As I wonder if it's a cover of like Fugazi. <laughs> I have a feeling it's probably not. I think so too, Chris. I think you're right on that one. That would be uh, an incredibly strange version if it was. <laughs> it would be a very weird version. <clears throat> a very, yeah, I miss, it just sounds like something that it would not. You know, that seems like a title that would be something that could be he he would be into but just just a different song yeah i had to guess yeah yeah no i agree i agree okay uh okay. do you have another point chris oh yeah um what do we got here so oh i'm trying to think of what we covered here i'm scrolling over my list so you brought up student teachers we kind of mentioned the memo or the sorry the memoir pardon me um one thing i want to shout out um, there's a lot of good talking points, but I just want to get back. You kind of mentioned it off the top and in the interview, but the crime cover on Sister by Sonic mm-hmm. Youth mm-hmm. of, uh, what is it? Heart, Heart, Cotwire, what the hell is it called again? I'm trying to remember the song title. I'm terrible at song titles. Hot Wire My Heart, I think, right? Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, their version is excellent. I agree. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was thinking about it like that. It's weirdly sounds like a slowed down new rose, especially with the pre-chorus. If you like listen to it, I don't know how recently you've heard it or if it sticks in your brain, but yeah, it sounds like a really slowed down new rose. Really? Me. Yeah. When I re-listened to it today, I was like, it's like I wanted to hear the error that you were talking about, and I don't remember that. Is it? Is in the very beginning? There's like this, like down, and like yeah. there's like a flub note or something. Yeah, and I was trying, so I re-listened to them both, but I was like, man, this sounds like a slowed-down New Rose. It's funny. Um, but anyway, it's great. Uh, but in relation to that, I don't know anything about this, and did you know anything about Cutler's previous to him bringing it up in the episode? Uh, the record store, that is, sorry. No, I'd never heard of it. Yeah, I didn't either. I think, like, you know, because usually, uh, there's a lot of New York ones that people kind of mention are New York area ones, so to mm-hmm. speak, but that's one... I just never heard come up like, and so I just thought, man, it seems like that was a pretty pivotal thing. So I well, yeah, especially for them to be on those singles as they were coming out. Yeah, for sure. Like they, they, they you know, for them to have uh, the first Buzzcock singles, like there, there weren't more than two thousand of that. I guess there was yeah, a repress that, pretty shortly thereafter. Yeah, I don't. I'm guessing it wasn't one of those. I'm just looking up to see if I can find any imagery, even of the. Uh, Oh, huh. Does this still exist? It's claiming there's one in New Haven. Well, that must be it. Because he grew up in uh, Connecticut. It's closed now. Well, yeah, yeah it's, it's nighttime. No, I just mean like, I didn't know if that meant it was like closed down as well. Okay, yeah. But uh, no, there's like a, they have like a web thing and everything. They, they I wonder if they advertised the that they got Thurston Moore into records. <laughs> yeah, there's uh the website is wrong though cuz the website takes you to some like power like like power tool <laughs> kind of thing. Oh. Okay. Um 
But anyway, yeah, Cutler's Record Shop. I don't know if this is still a thing, but for New York uh, people, New York-centric people, maybe you can elaborate further and, and clue us in. But I just thought it was kind of neat. Anytime people bring up those sorts of things, I'm always curious how much of like a, you know, a thing that is. Yeah. That's why I wanted to shout it out again. And of course, the other one, which we're familiar with or whatever, be a the label associated, but Rat Cage was the other shout out I wanted to make sure we talked about mm-hmm. briefly. Mm-hmm. Very important record store. And the fact that he went to Rat Cage was another, you know, thing that jumped out at me and just thought, man, it's just, it's just endless. It really Dude, is endless. He was going to hospital records, like when it was open. Yeah. Like Thurston yeah. is like definitely like a, a record collector's record collector. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. Like I, uh, uh, have you heard the Coachman, his his first band? No, that was another one. Like that was the no, I hadn't heard it. So that was one of the ones that I was curious about too. If you have anything more to elaborate, I didn't have time to research that thoroughly at all. Uh, it came out on New Alliance Records in the mid '80s, I believe, or late '80s. I believe it's '88. I think. Uh, I gotta check this now. Yeah, I'm looking up his little. Uh, or keep it on New Frontiers, maybe. Mm. Um, oh, there's a there's a bunch of stuff, but I guess like the first time it got reissued was on New Alliance Records in '88. Uh, and it's it's cool. Like it's definitely not, you know, Sonic Youth, and you can tell like even the way he talked about it that it wasn't necessarily what he wanted to be doing. Yeah. Um. But the weird thing is, so it comes out in '88. But the first, so it came out posthumously? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Because I'm going like, why would that? So they, what year was this all recorded then? It was in? Uh, like 81 and 79 or something. Okay. 78. Yeah. Because that was, that threw me off at first. I just thought, oh, weird. He was doing it later, but no. That's a funny cover too. Like he's, it's like a band photo for people who don't know if you look it up, Failure to Thrive. It's kind of a neat, it does look like a very New York record. Of that era, you know, but is that, that must be him front and center. It looks like. Yeah. I think he's, you know, right there. Yeah. Um, they would also have a bunch of other records that would come out kind of over the years, like Thurston kind of putting out stuff. You, you know what? Like you can definitely hear his guitar playing in this already, but yeah, you know, and it, it certainly is like, I guess the velvet's, damage side of things and the television damage side of things. Yeah. But it's just not it. You can tell it's, it's lacking kind of the punk side of stuff and the hardcore side of stuff. Yeah. That's cool though. I, that's cool. Ecstatic piece put like reissued two things or whatever, 10 compositions and LP they released in 97 and then a CD in 2005. Wow. I guess he still plays with the guys or played with the guys. That's cool. American worker. Yeah, I wasn't aware of this, so that's, I don't know, it's cool to know too. Yeah, there's like, that's the thing about him is it goes, it starts so early. Yeah, it's it's very apparent in the episode just how, it, it's just like, <laughs> again, back to like my, you just listen to it and you just think like this is someone who, you know, just every, just the things he talked about seeing concert wise is insane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, and there's been a lot of people who do have seen some great stuff that you've interviewed and like I'm blown away by some, but there's, you know, 
just consecutive things that he mentioned. And I just thought, holy. And the fact that the, the thing I think that surprised me most about the the episode was I expected No Wave to be a lot more of a focal uh, narrative. Mm-hmm. And it was very much like an afterthought, like which blew my mind. And that's sort of really what like hammered it home. Like, yeah, this was because I always assumed he came more from that side rather than you know, liking punk-centric stuff and then sort of also getting into that. Mm-hmm. But it was, yeah, I was I was uh, incorrect, as it turns out. Yeah, no, I definitely thought he was, you know, I thought they were much more a part of that no-wave scene. And I think, yeah, I think I just assume Glenn Bronca was a part of that no-wave scene. But it's funny, like, that's just, I guess, history compressing things. Yeah, and and actually, at the time, you realize like, nah, it was kind of different, you know. And like, it's funny because like, kids will now, kids, younger people will talk to me about Toronto stuff, and they'll be like, oh, blah blah, and blah blah band, you know. And I'm like, yeah, those bands never hung out, like they weren't yeah. friends. It was kind of a different thing. Um, and it's funny to hear you know that happen to to my perceptions, you know, talking to Thurston. Yeah, I agree. I think I, that you 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 nailed it perfectly. Like I, that's kind of was my impression exactly the same. So I was very surprised. Although um, I do like that he mentions that photo, which I looked up, and he mentions like his friend. I think it's Harold. Yeah. Uh, in the photo, and he mentions car. If you look it up, I actually made a. Anyway, I'll forward it to you. But it's like yeah, you I found see. the photo, but he's not anywhere in it like he's not yeah he says he's not in it but i thought maybe there was like a cropped and uncropped version that he's in <laughs> yeah but uh it's not but if it's his friend harold who i think of who i've found out it's very funny like he's just like if, if if he is not in any of the bands he has a pretty focal part of the shot yeah <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean which is makes it kind of hilarious i i think i think it's you know just like once again like just the stuff that's happening around him but that isn't necessarily, uh, you know, what he wants to be involved in yet. Yeah. The one thing I didn't bring up to him, which I will have to bring up the next episode, is a record that I, I picked up last year in a, show, a record store out in Orlando. Shout out to Don't Shop Records. But it's like the first appearance he made on vinyl, which is this comp, Just Another Asshole. Okay. And his song on that, Chris, is called The Fucking Youth of Today. So it's it's uh, it's billed as Thurston Moore? Yeah. And, and this comp's really fascinating because it's it predates Sonic Youth, but this must have been when they first started meeting each other because it's a compilation featuring cr- like a bunch of crazy short songs on it, yeah. uh, including one from Lee Ronaldo and one from Kim Gordon, and one from him. Wild. Yeah. So hold on. What What is this again? Like, what's okay? So what is this comp or whatever? What's the? The comp is called "Just Another Asshole," and I don't Just really know what it is. It's like a compilation uh, that I picked up. That's like just really weird. It's got like a bunch of different styles on it. Yeah, I found it here. It's on the resource. It is all over the map. Yeah, there is Lee Ronaldo on as well. You're right. Wow. Yeah, it's tons of short stuff. It's a lot on it. Yeah, I thought Kim. Oh yeah, Kim Gordon's on it with Miranda. Working Youth is the name of their song. 
Yeah, so it was released originally in 81. Wow. Yeah, and it's just just another asshole records number 5. Yep. Yeah, I've never heard this, but it's basically all over the map. When you look at style, it has like alternative rock, minimal, spoken world, field recording, avant-garde, free improvisation. So it's yeah, it's kind of like a whatever nah. MC record. Yeah, not like great songs on it. Like not a lot of songs where I'm like <laughs> fuck. Not a lot of hitters, eh? Not a lot of hitters. <laughs> no. <laughs> So, yeah, this would have been cool. I'm curious uh, about this. There's an Eric Bogosian track on this. Dude, there's a Zev song on it. Nice. Well, that Zev makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Glenn Branca. Yeah, this is wild. Yeah. I've never heard of this either. No, I picked up this comp like, you know, you know, the guy was like, yo, you like weird stuff. You like, you know, kind of punk stuff. Uh, we have this, and I was like, "This is too weird." And it's eighty-one, so it like is a full year before the first Sonic Youth recording start coming out. I feel like I don't know if Zev. I don't was this New York centric or not. I feel like probably not because there's so many things on it. But I think it must be New Yorkish centric, you know? Yeah, like given it's definitely got all the Glenn Bronca kind of type people around it. I've not gone through every single artist on this page, but I imagine there's also some other people that are. Yeah. You know, the other thing I wanted to, so this is great. And the other thing, Robert, Barbara about, Kruger's on this. Nice. The other thing I wanted to, uh, impart on you, if you, if you talk to him again about early stuff, apart from this, which is wild, but is like the, the whole like Basquiat scene. I was yeah. curious about that, like that uh, downtown like movie and all that stuff. Well, he brought up Mars, right? Yeah. I Which think was Basquiat's band. Um, the one thing that I would love to kind of, you know, that I would love to find out about is Vincent Gallo. Yeah, because I've heard interviews or whatever or read interviews that uh, there was a particular – thing that he he once mentioned about basically not liking later sonic youth but in it it's referenced like later sonic youth meaning like you know like goo and dirty even. yeah so yeah. the idea being like that the, the, when they started it was really good so i don't know what the position on that is but yeah well he's like, uh, and vincent gallo obviously a lot of issues um <laughs> but talking about someone who you know he plays in mars with basquiat yeah. And then a few years later, he's on that, you know, Graffiti Rock to, uh, PBS special, introducing Run DMC, as, calling himself Prince Vince. Yeah, that's, well, yeah. And then I don't think, are you right he played in Mars? He played in a band called Grey. With oh, him. Grey. Grey is like the pre-Mars band, I think, though, yeah. right? And yeah. I think, and Basquiat was in Grey. Yes, think. correct. Um, but, yeah, sorry. Uh, no, it's all right. I was just, you had me going. I was like, is there two bands? I no. Know. Anyway. No. But um, anyway, yeah, uh, all that stuff's great. I forwarded it, but I'm curious his thoughts because he clearly probably was there for all that. That's why I was wondering about it. I can't um, fucking believe that Eric Bogosian, uh, you know, it, it, it put out records on neutral records. Did you know this? Like, am I like the only guy that didn't know this shit? I didn't know it. I like his stuff, but I never knew like much about his recorded output. I'm more familiar with him as like an actor. Same here. Dude, look, look up the Eric Bogosian LP, which is on neutral records. Who put out the first Sonic Youth LP or the second Sonic Youth put out confusion is next. 
Confusion of sex. Uh, let me see here. I gotta find it now. I was there earlier. I jumped off it because we weren't going on it. Now I gotta go back. Okay. Um, well, I didn't connect Eric Bogosian to that Eric Bogosian until I clicked on it. Yeah. That is fucking crazy. I had no idea that this guy had any connection to, you know, this. Well, I always remember, I don't know the neutral one, but I always remember that sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever, CD at the time I remember seeing. And I just assumed it was like a comedy spoken word thing. But this is when I really didn't know, because I think that was, I don't know when talk radio came out, but I feel like this was around the same time. Yeah. And so I remember seeing that. I don't know if I've ever heard it. But um, the earlier ones. It says it's comedy spoken word, that one. Where yeah, both that... of those two. But you know what? Like that's large, broadly talked. Con- I, I don't know if it actually is. Oh, you're right. The first one says Eric Bogosian, comedy spoken word, Voices of America, Men Inside. Is is the neutral record yeah. he put out. Sorry, I, I thought one... it was music. No, but yeah, it seems to be a, a spoken word record or whatever, which what I, I would gather. But at first, I thought he had a guitar, but it says bat. He's holding a baseball bat like a guitar <laughs> yeah. on the cover in a punk jacket. So, yeah, um, he's great. But, um, yeah, I didn't know any of that either. I didn't know 83. It's funny that he has a record out in 83, and then there's not one another one until 90. Well, then he started, like, I bet you if you go to his appearances on TV and stuff, that's when he probably started taking off. Yeah, could be. I wonder what this enemy uh, racket packet song is that he has. I don't know what you're talking He's on this enemy compilation. Oh, okay. Um, live at the ICA extracts. <laughs> anyway, you, you unearth the, the wildest things that I'm not. Okay, yeah, I see it here. It's a cassette. Yeah, I don't know. Well, because he's got so few comps, dude. Like, he's got, like, nothing that he was. That- that enemy one's interesting because it's from 83. That's why I, I'm curious about that too. It's clearly not at the height of his career. Yeah. So yeah. That is bizarre. Audio anyway. Arts Magazine too. He's also on this thing, which has uh, Philip Glass. <laughs> yeah. But if you – he's an interesting guy. Like if you listen to some of his interviews or read stuff, he's he was there like early – in as far as the New York thing or whatever, or Massachusetts, where dude, you're holding out on me. We got to get him on the pod. You definitely got to. Dude, yeah. this is our new thing. If you if you have any connection to Eric Bogosian, reach out to him. Tell him we need to get into this uh, this uh, new thing. This is another one I'm going to add to the list. Now I know. Well, and I'll add, I want. Go on. I'll do another punk connection, which most people know, and I'm sure you know. But in talk radio, he's killed. By Rockets Red Glare. Oh, no, I didn't know that. The man that allegedly may have been involved in Sid Vicious's death, according to... Yeah, if you watch Talk Radio again, The Murderer, like The Caller. Wow. Talk yeah. Radio's a great movie, by the way. If you haven't seen it, anybody listening, mm-hmm. watch it. But, um, yeah, his murderer is is Rockets Red Glare. Very, very... And another character if you look up. Yeah, yeah. so there very, you have it. Very interesting. Well, this has been... This is why I do this thing, Chris, so I can learn too. <laughs> yeah. What what uh, I try. I try. what on order is Eric Pagosian the chief on? Is it SVU? Uh, I don't no, know. no, it's it's um criminal intent. 
Yeah, it's funny. Like, it's one of those things now. I, I like I forgot that until you just mentioned it. But yeah, he's kind of one of these people now that like is kind of a household at least face, if not name. Um, but yeah, like I forget about that. But his work is pretty interesting if you look at his history. Like his is like uh, whatever acting and what have you. I haven't heard these records. So that's now I'm on a quest for that. Have you um, have you watched Succession, the HBO show that he's on? No. Oof, phenomenal. Nice. I'll check it. Phenomenal. Like at the same time, his first credit that he has is 83. So, you know, he was, he was like, you know, doing art for a number of years. He yeah, also played feel- Conan the Librarian on Reading Rainbow. <laughs> I didn't know that. I feel like the archetype of someone like Eric Bogosian, I feel like there's going to be a ton of people who don't know who we're talking about. Please look it up. When you click on it, you will 100% yeah. know. Dude was in people. Beavis and Butthead Do America. Thank you very much, people. Yeah. And, and to spell it for the people who are Googling, it's B-O-G-O-S-I-A-N. But um, yeah, he's just, I don't know. I've always liked his stuff. But yeah, he's one of those like archetypes of uh, of people that... I'm not so sure these characters exist anymore in, in real life all that much. He and I also have a connection because he's on the TV show Billions. And uh, there's a fucked up song on Billions. <laughs> yes, there is. That's right. <laughs> shout out. Shout out to my man, Brian Koppelman. There you go. Um, if we're if we're pivoting off of Bogosian briefly, because it's sort of linked to what I want to mention quickly is relating to like the no sort of wave thing again or whatever. Uh, the one thing I was very uh, surprised to hear as well, being that I didn't know anything about like where this person was from, is when he talks about the Kim Gordon knowing uh, Michael Draw and all that, I didn't know Michael Draw was like a West Coast person at all. Yeah, nor did I. That was very new to me. Yeah, and so... I got to thinking again, like we're, we're gushing over through some more too, but like imagine being there for the mask and then also being in New York, you know, for all that too, like experiencing both those things. Like it's kind of crazy. Yeah. I'm trying to think there. And he's probably like one of the only people that would have. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like, so when he, when he mentioned that, it might blew my mind too. As a nerd, I just thought, wow, this is, uh, that's impressive. He, I, again, I had no, I don't know. I had no. I just had no idea. I was associated with New York, so I had no clue. But then again, I guess I always did that with Kim Gordon up to a point. Well, yeah, he was born in Los Angeles, right? I guess, yeah. That's that's what sort of uh, is alleged in the interview. Um, um, another sidebar, real quick. We can discuss that more, but I just want to. Yo, Chris, sure. how about this? How about the fact that his first release ever was a split with Lydia Lunch, put out by ecstatic piece in 84 ecstatic piece oh oh one really is drawn liddy lunch yep hard rock is the name of the cassette uh so that must have been like kind of when around the time he would have i guess become friends with liddy lunch too yeah it's also i didn't know that wow i never expected the starting point of his career to be related to thurston moore Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense, though. So I recently saw a photo before you did this interview of, of Thurston playing with the Swans. And that's sort of when I got like, I don't know, I just started to rethink my whole attitude 
<laughs> and uh, and then I just went, whoa, you know, this is this is kind of wild. That's crazy too, man. He's probably the only person ever to play with Gigi Allen, play with the Swans, and play, you know, a show at the A7. And be on The Simpsons. And be on The Fucking Simpsons. Yep. Damn, man. Yeah, it's it's wild. And there's many other things that we're not filling in, like, gaps with that are... And be in, like, a U.S. black metal band, a contemporary U.S. black metal band, same time. Yeah. Later. Like, it's just... It's, yeah. Um, one thing I want to mention that uh, was he mentions is the, the Harlots of 42nd Street, mm-hmm. which is that glam group. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I could find – I haven't looked on the resource actually. I'm going to do that now. But the only thing I could find um, on a general search was doing uh, – like YouTube has a clip uh, of a track of theirs called Spray Paint Bandit, which is actually pretty decent. And – it apparently is from a comp called Pink Boots and Lipstick Volume 7. I think it's probably only like a CD or something. It looks kind of cheesy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the, the song's pretty good. It's it's kind of what you would expect. It's not quite dollsy. But in the YouTube video, if you just search Harlots of 42nd Street, it's pretty much the first video that comes up and someone has made like a video montage because someone has unearthed like 30 seconds of a live clip without <laughs> without sound. That they've added in, and it looks pretty like pretty insane. It looks like looks pretty cool, but the song itself is pretty great. Um, and what was going to go with that? Uh, yeah, so that's the only thing I could find. I don't know if they actually had anything else released or what have you, but I thought I wouldn't be able to find anything on them. By the way, he was speaking. So no, they are obscure. Like they are definitely. Yeah. You know, like as many bands as he mentioned that, like, I was so happy to talk with. There were a couple he mentioned where I'm like, I don't know what he's talking about. Like, I'm lost. Yeah. The the video alleges, too, it, it uses a David Johansson quote, and it basically says that the dolls were always competing with them. Oh, Whether weird. or not that's accurate, I don't know. But uh, it's interesting to think that they were, like, there on, like, ground floor of of that whole thing and yet somehow are sort of unknown or whatever. Yeah, like it's well that's I guess the story. Like have you heard of that band Up? I've heard the name, I've never heard the, the, the third band in Detroit in the whole uh Stooges MC five story. Apparently they were the other band. Okay. Um and uh you know, but once again a band that's kind of forgotten about now. Yeah, I'm like I mean I'm sure there's always, you know, I I'm amazed in the era we're in that that still happens, but um yeah, I don't know. It's a bummer. It's I'm a trying bummer. to find this comp on the resource and I cannot find it. I can't I find it either. I couldn't find any listing from. And YouTube it's got the the image for it and it's like anyway. Um but you can hear the song. The song is cool. Uh and it's funny cuz it's about like graffiti. <laughs> just even weirder because it's like it's a glam song about doing graffiti yeah so it's like super kind of amazing and cheesy simultaneously um what else uh i was kind of shocked that he never saw the misfits or the mad yeah i was shocked that he didn't see the mad because like there's always uh you know a uh you know like it seems like he saw a lot of that early stuff yeah but even the misfits Really? Like, think about 
Yeah, I don't know. The Misfits, like, don't you get the vibe even when, like, Jay, when John Joseph was on that, like, hardcore kids didn't really jive with the Misfits after a certain point? Yeah, I've got that was an impression I received from various things doing this show. I think hindsight is a lot easier. I just think at the time, it's bizarre, there was a group from the area that seemed to be, because especially like what I guess I'm trying to get at is here, off the top, he talks about Kiss, and he talks about really liking Kiss. Not that the Misfits are Kiss, by any means, even though in 2018 it would probably seem like so. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but you know, that idea of a shtick, and yet, you know, Kiss is probably already blowing up at that time, so if you're someone who likes, you know, music that's like yours, the Misfits would be in that you know, whatever arena of the whole like shtick. I just thought, but it makes sense simultaneously also though, that you have like the actual raging, you know, pure American hardcore stuff starting. That's kind of not vibing with that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was the thing, right? Like the hardcore stuff was going kind of the opposite way. The misses were going. Yeah. Agreed. But see, the other thing is like, isn't it the drummer plays on the antidote record? The drummer of the misfits. Yeah. Uh, the drummer of the Misfits played in the band Genocide, and another drummer played in that band Creepy Crawler. Maybe I thought there was. I thought there was the connection. Was I thought maybe it's the undead? I don't know what. A, what a, I thought someone, whoever. I thought there was an antidote record connection there. I couldn't remember what. It, like I don't know. What there it might is. be. Someone I could just be totally mistaken on that. But yeah. um, but I know it was the guy from Genocide. Like I remember on that Doyle when I asked him about a lot of their drummers, yeah. and it's. Didn't get, a, you know, met with a lot of uh, positivity. Yeah, my my whole reason for mentioning that Oh, Arthur just the Googly. Googie. Arthur Googie played, uh, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He played in the Misses. You're right. And yeah, then he so formed I was, Antidote afterwards. But, yeah, so I thought, like, perhaps, you know, that kind of a connection, being that, you know, you know how bands of this ilk sort of, yeah. it's communal. I just thought maybe there would be people that would have been you know, vibing on it or whatever. But, uh, yeah, anyway, I don't know. Maybe I'm off base. Who knows? Someone, uh, knows better right in turn to the punk footnotes, uh, at gmail.com. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, I want it. You have a point. Go on a point. Uh, do I have a point? I'm sure I do. Uh, I like the fact that you talked about the differences between DC and, like kind of that earlier New York hardcore and just the fact that DC is just so much like, you know, New York hardcore in the beginning felt like it was like, kind of like, you know, informed by moving away from, uh, New York, uh, punk rock rock. And, and the DC stuff just sounds like it's just informed by hardcore. Yeah. Well, the, the the later DC stuff apparently isn't. Arguably. Yeah, definitely apparently. Yeah. But uh yeah, I don't uh I hadn't thought about those things in that way. You always hear about the bad brains like wiping the floor with everybody coming to New York. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming apparently Mario Threat were an excellent live group, so it's probably similar. Mhm. But uh, I don't know. I never thought – I don't know. I've never heard of like a crazy live reputation of SOA though. Um, No. But they weren't around for very long. You know? Yeah, true. Like they, he was already in Black Flag, right? Pretty much around the time the 7-inch is kind of coming out. 
Yeah, I'm just thinking though, like given his you know notoriety from that, you would think that it would have you know people would have been like, oh, him from whatever. Other, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong too. I've never looked into it enough to be fair. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I I agree in the sense where I don't know enough about DC to know about the wave prior to that you know, quote unquote, like the discord thing starting, right? Like we talked a little bit with them, like that trench mouth band, not the Fred Armisen trench mouth band, another one. Yeah. The other, the original trench Um, mouth, another band that apparently I don't think has any recordings as far as I remember them mentioning, Mm -hmm. uh, but apparently they're incredible. Uh, When we spoke to Al Kai, he talked a lot about, I think they said they were his favorite band. But, yeah, it's uh, in the live. Yeah, it's in the live in DC episode. If you want to go back and check that out, yeah. But uh, so I don't know. Like, I don't know how to characterize that. I think if you, I don't know, if you put up the records year by year, and you went, okay, well, you know, because obviously the Bad Brains is fairly is pretty early, so you know that's obviously going to be ahead of the curve a little or whatever. But I don't know. I've never thought about the idea. Like, you could talk, I guess, similarly about like Boston or whatever too. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. You have any? You have any theories? I think it's the bad brains. Like I didn't even think about that till you mentioned it. But I think it's like the bad brains, you know, in DC being like this force, and then they arrive in New York, and it's like, oh shit, okay, the force is here now. We got to step up. Yeah, but I think like I agree. Um, but I'm wondering what. Like, I guess the question is, did, (laughs) you know, did early American hardcore, New York hardcore kill, you know, the whatever that scene was previous? You know, did it really like, like, like do it? And I I don't know. I don't know what was still, obviously the Ramones, I don't know. The Ramones are one I think maybe deserve a little credit there too, though. The Ramones, oh, like, it's funny because I think it's on the John Worcester episode. He yeah. talks about the Ramones getting influenced by hardcore. Yes. And he and, talks about, I think he mentions brain drain, right? Yeah. And how that was like them hanging around CBGBs, hanging around all these young hardcore bands. Yeah. But I still think like as much as those records are early and, and as much as they, you know, the Ramones obviously have sensibilities that, that, uh, coincide with, you know, whatever that, that era of, bands like the glammy they don't sound like a glam band obviously but clearly they were influenced like certainly joey was i'm sure they all were I'm sure Dee was by that kind of stuff why the ramones end up the way they did i think was probably of, of uh whatever a, a matter of circumstance and them just being a little more blunt with their music mm-hmm. in terms of like not not being as fin- not being able to finesse it that way and so therefore you know it creates this like phenomenal uh you know new thing so to speak but i feel like that is a bit of like the canary in the coal mine of that kind of stuff in new york if i'm if i'm so bold that's my theory and i think hardcore is the natural progression from there yeah, i agree i definitely agree on that too not again not that it's not great like i if you you know i'm not trying to no shade like i new york dolls are phenomenal like i love those records and i love that stuff but i don't know it just seems like you know it's always like short fast loud you know that's the that's where it goes right and i think it's just like extreme yeah and it's everyone's got to like 
move away from what came before them. But I think it's like, yeah. I think the bad brain showing up in New York, you know, and you hear that, you know, keep being stated as one of the catalyst points, but like you really hear it like after the bad brains are there, what happens to everyone sonically. Yeah, I agree. I have uh, I have another big talking point that we've never discussed. Yes. Uh, I don't know how many more you want to go on because this is phenomenal. We could talk for hours. But um, this kind of occurred to me because it's still something I think is phenomenal. And uh, this is my sort of theory I'm going to throw out there or whatever. My uh, whatever. Um, it is forced exposure the greatest thing to come out of American punk if you will like the the magazine just everything everything about it. the fact that it still exists it still rules it's different completely different than its origins so to speak but you know i i have trouble thinking of something as on point this long on as force exposure and if yeah. it was it's, it's mostly gone like you would probably at one time have said touch and go mm-hmm. touch and go you know again no shade but touch and go has kind of seen its day it seems well they stopped um, it now right yeah they've closed yeah it but you know what i mean exactly like they didn't it didn't weather the storm arguably discord one could say but i could stack up you know and again no shade I, I you just could stack up what they're both doing and i just think forest exposure is so uh, sub pop yeah sub pop too but i still think like sub pop though early on isn't as crucial as forced exposure Uh, Well, I, you know, not early on, but I would say like in present day, the impact of sub pop is probably greater than that of the current impact of forced exposure, whether or not. Yeah, I agree with that. Exactly. I'd agree with that. I'm not saying which is cool or anything, but. (laughs) No. Again, no shade. Sub pop's great. Sub pop's uh... great. Friends on that label. (laughs) Yes. Like it's no, it's no poison idea shakedown. It's all good. But, uh, yeah, anyway, it was just a thought. I actually was thinking of, like, what is greater than force exposure to me that came from all of this? I don't know if I could pick anything. Like Thirst and more. Yeah, I'm not talking people. I'm just <laughs> saying, like, <laughs> like, there's a lot of people that are great, of course, including the things we've mentioned. But I don't know. I just think that's still one thing that's on, the like, the crazy cutting edge that I'm never ahead of ever, ever. Not that I'm ahead of anything, but I, I'm always in, and it's not that they are producing it themselves, but they're whatever taste making and promoting things that I'm still like completely blow my mind. Yeah, no, they definitely, you know, it's something that you could age with. Yeah. Touch and go and still find interesting stuff. In yeah. There. I don't know. It's just a thought. Not much on it, I guess, but I just, it occurred to me. It was a revelation that occurred mid-interview when he started talking about his zine, which is another cool little end pivot point. Do you have any of those killer? No, I those don't, people? but I've definitely looked at them on the internet. They're insane. Yeah, actually, I wanted to solicit for that as well. If anybody, or you even, know the links to any of, like, scans of it, because all I could find were just some random covers. There's covers. Someone them posted a whole issue somewhere not too long yeah. ago. If anyone knows, write us, turn it upon footnotes at gmail.com. I want to check those out. But could you um, think of a more Chris zine than a zine that's like interviewing fucking <laughs> all these hardcore bands and the swans? Yeah, exactly. Like I looked at the cover of one and two and I just was like, again, 
It just felt foolish. <laughs> felt, uh, yeah, it's incredible. I, I just want to see this. Yeah, exactly, though. That's perfectly stated. People who don't know me, that is a statement they can stick with. Yes, Damien, I do think you're correct there. He's got your number, Chris. Yeah, no, 100%. I've never not liked things he's done, but for whatever reason, I foolishly, uh, you know, was a bit ornery about certain certain aging personalities in underground music or whatever subculture broadly termed and uh he was for some reason in that spectrum wrongly <laughs> but that's ancient history to me now well i'm glad turn it a punk can can open minds like i think that's the one thing that i want this show to do it's like you know like you said this show can be a very cynical place at times I think this not show, the show, you and I, the show but, is not. Uh, no, but I think that's the thing is like you and I can be cynical, but this show is ultimately about smashing cynicism because it's about like how we're all the same in the end. We're all the same. A line that you sung on a <laughs> fucked up record many years ago, Chris. It's funny that you know that because I don't even think you were there for that session. when that. Are you kidding me? I was the one that got you in the goddamn booth that day. Yes. Anyway, okay. Yeah, I have a vague recollection of that moment, but yeah, uh, and, and yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know what to say. Yeah, you summarized it nicely. I think, like for me, it's just, you know, you. Anyway, we talked about this already. <laughs> it's <laughs> difficult. Like when you get when you become into this and you get into this, you start to become like really, really uh, protective of you know, what is yours, or at least what you feel is yours. And I definitely am guilty, have been guilty of that many times, and probably am still guilty at points uh, going forward. But yeah, this is one of those things where you just, you know, literally this whole episode, you know, it, there, there's been many episodes of this podcast that you've done, interviews that you've done, I think are like incredible. This for me is definitely top five uh, easily of like the whole run. So I don't know where I would put in what order, but this is was, was a huge one. I didn't expect – I knew it would be good. I didn't expect to be as floored. And, yeah, we didn't even talk about the Sid Vicious thing. That's how much there was to talk about. You're right. We didn't even get to the Sid Vicious thing. We also yeah. – yeah, like we got coming up here, everyone, we're getting to that time of year where uh, we're going to go back and we're going to go through all this year's Turn It to Punks and select our top – uh five episodes did we do last year i can't remember but Maybe yeah it could five. have been i don't honestly don't remember um but we've had some doozies this year this has been a great year for for people coming on the show like from like jack black to michael ian black to you know thurston moore to uh god blake schwarzenbach to um We've had a lot of big people on the Twid, the Twid episode. And Jerry A. Jesse Michaels, Jerry A, Jim Cuddy. Uh, this has been a good year for, for weird kind of turn out a punk episode. So, uh, and it's not over yet. So, but we are going to be taking those lists. Chris, how do they send those lists to us if they want to submit their list of their favorite turn out of punks of this past year? Uh, well, they can write us at turnoutapunkfootnotes at gmail.com. And, yeah, you can send your list in. And we've got – yeah, we did a two-parter last year, I think, with the end-of-year episode. I think we'll get yeah, the – I can't remember. We'll get the two Daves on. Maybe we'll make it like a mailbag clear-out 
slash best of turn out of punk. Yeah, I still think there's even things from this we, you know, like with the Daves we can certainly discuss. So, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's bubbling up. It's bubbling up. It's always bubbling up here. Patty Schmel was this year. Shaka Malik was this year. Peter Perret was this year. Uh, yeah, it's been a good year. It's been a yeah. good year for podcast episodes. Uh, that's it, though, Chris. Anything else you would like to add before we head off into the night? No, I'm good. Well, there's more stuff, but I figure we'll get to it another time. So, yeah, I'm good. Absolutely. Well, everyone, thank you very much for listening. If you would like to find me, I'm on various forms of social media, at Left for Damien. Please support the show by telling Ron about it, writing a review, and rating it on your platform of choice, if you have that ability on your platform of choice. And, uh, yeah, get in touch with those lists. And uh, that's it. Uh, we will see you next week week. Thank you everyone for listening. Bye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.